Okay, my name is Greg, and welcome if you're new to Crossroads. I, we're the end of the fifth message in the series of, on the book of Exodus. And today we get the opportunity as a family to cover one of the greatest series of events that has ever really, I mean, just not, not in the movie theater, but really taken place in history. We have three chapters of signs and wonders, the plagues of Egypt that are all snapshots that are meant to teach us of God's faithfulness, God's power, and God's deliverance. And actually the length and scope of this text today gives us great opportunity to really press down a value that we all share at Crossroads, that our gatherings on Sunday are just uh, the 10%. Really, it's just the 1% or so of the 168 hours that we have to live over the course of the next week that we're a priesthood of believers. Rod regularly likes to remind us that, that we're all missionaries. We're all pastors, not pastor dependent. So take this text home today. There's going to be plenty of meat left on the bone, trust me. And go to sites like studylight.com. I mean, it's a place that you can go. You could take this text, look at it in the original language with the interlinear options that you have there, and you can go right into the heart of the, the Hebrew and find God there. Okay. As we interpret this text today, we're, of course, looking both at a narrative and we're asking the question, what might the original recipients be understanding this passage to say, but we're also asking the question, within the bigger story of the Bible, what might I learn about our exodus, our rescuer, Jesus, our deliverance? And as I studied this passage over the course of the last week, I I really wrestled, for these words are, are really the holy words of God. And they've been passed down faithfully from generation to generation to generation, Treat it as holy and as aware of the fact that God uh, was gazing on us right now. The same God that literally stepped into history and delivered the nation of Israel. It's the same God who gazes on us, who perceives us right now. And I think that it would be really easy to be fired up or inspired by a text like this today but not changed by it. I mean, that's been me. It would be really easy to be lifted or inspired by the plagues, like how you'd feel leaving a movie like the Ten Commandments, but not transformed by it. We really need God to do that work today, don't we? Will you pray with me? I feel like I'm just getting uh, 1% of the 100 the reality that you are listening. It almost makes me uh, shiver. And that you, with your pinky, wrought out such miraculous signs as the ones that we see in the Bible today. And you are the God who still shows himself strong today. So we pray for your help. We really, I just sense it in this room. We as a family really want to be transformed by you. And so it's to you that we look. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we stand your feet. We're going to read the very words of God. We are not going to read all three chapters of this. <laughs> but here we go. Starting in chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. 
By this you will know that I'm the Lord. With the staff that's in my hand, I'll strike the water of the Nile and it'll be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, let your staff, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Isn't it interesting that, that just 40 years earlier that the Israelites were commanded to throw their babies into the Nile? The Nile was filled with blood even before it was turned to blood. Verse 20. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised a staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not even take into his heart and did not take these events into his heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. These are the very words of God. You guys can have a seat. So today, as we start, we've got to be kind of careful. We've got to uh, look at, we've got to take out first and utilize three um, real unique interpretive lenses. And here's the first. It's related to the very essence of the plagues. Exodus chapter 7 verse 3 tells us that the plagues were what? That they were signs and wonders. Now, if you're anything like me, you've lumped up this term signs and wonders and used it to represent the miraculous workings of God. But the Bible would have us understand that that's not the full picture. That signs and wonders are meant to be understood as two entirely separate items in one package. That signs are meant for instruction, correction, warning, signs and message. The wonder, on the other hand, is a miraculous occurrence that accompanies the sign and validates that the sign is from God. The sign on one hand is a message. The wonder, on the other hand, is a validating event. Matthew 9, verse 2 through 8, gives us a snapshot of exactly what a sign and wonder looks like in the confines of Scripture. You see, in this passage, you don't need to turn there, we see Peter in Capernaum. He's teaching people at Peter's house and all of a sudden through the roof there's, there's this great chaos and there's this man that's dropped through the roof. You know the story. And he's tied to a cot and he's lowered right in front of Jesus and his friends beg Jesus to heal him. Jesus steps up like Jesus does and steps right into the heart of the issue. And he says, my friend, your sins are forgiven. And right away he hears the teachers of the law beginning to mutter and grumble behind him. So what does he do? He turns and says, so that you know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he turns to the man that's laying on the ground. Be healed. Rise. And what do we know from the story? His contorted body is made whole. What's the sign? The sign is, the message is, Jesus has the authority to heal and, well, really, to forgive sins on earth. The wonder is that he heals the whole man. Well, that's exactly what we want to do with Exodus 7 through 10 today. The, the, the signs and wonders need to be looked at in the same way. Here's our second interpretive lens for today. We need to understand that the number of plagues is important for the interpretation of the plagues. That there are 10 plagues in the Exodus story today, the number 10 in the Bible represents the perfect completion of God's divine order. So the Ten Commandments represent the perfect completion of God's commands. The Ten Commands of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 represent the perfect completions of God's creation. So also, the Ten Plagues of Egypt represent the fact that in God's mind, Egypt had been completely plagued. You have 10 commands of creation. You have 10 
commands that it takes to destroy Egypt. Here's the third lens that we're going to use today. We cannot look forward as a family to interpret the plagues correctly without first looking back. You know, context is everything. I had a Bible teacher back at Multnomah hammer into me that, that, uh, that any text taken out of context is pretext. You can remember two weeks ago, we were in Exodus 4, do you remember? And there was a reoccurring phrase, a line that came up over and over and over again. It had everything to do with Israel's identity, and it was this. You ruin my firstborn, God says. I will ruin your firstborn. It's important that we understand that God in this text is not just talking about Pharaoh's flesh and blood, but the nation, Pharaoh's son, Egypt. You see, the wonder portion of our signs and wonders today doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless we realize that they are a direct fulfillment of God's promise to ruin Pharaoh's firstborn. So in all actuality, all ten plagues are plagues of the firstborn, aren't they? Not just the last one. Okay, Um, we made it through this first segment. Here we're stepping now into the second segment. We've got to keep our track shoes on. Here we go. When you're thinking about uh, the capitals of the world, what places come to mind? Just speak them out. New York City. What else? London, Moscow, maybe Beijing. What about the cherry capital of the world? Traverse City. Come on, you guys are good. For some of you men, what about the pro football capital of the world? Do you know it? No. (laughs) It's not Ann Arbor either, by the way. Say it again. No, it's not actually. Okay, it's Beaumont, Texas, of all places. There are more professional football players that come out of that little town than any other little town in the U.S. Okay, what about Luck, Wisconsin? What's that the capital of? No, no. Jeez. No, it's the yo-yo capital of the world. You should have known that. Really? Well, in this time of history, the time that our story takes place, Egypt could have been called the what? The counterfeit capital of the world. Because it was filled with counterfeit gods, counterfeit comfort, counterfeit security, and counterfeit life. The land was also filled with Mitzrayim. Do you remember that word? It's the Hebrew word for Egypt, and it means the house of bondage, the house of oppression. Isn't that an interesting correlation? So what happens when God shows up and knocks on the door of the house of oppression? Sparks and flames flare up. Anybody in here, can anybody in here stand up and rattle off all 10 plagues in the right order. Anybody know them? Remember them from when you learned them as a kid? Anybody have the guts to do that? No, come on. Okay, I'll give them to you. We have somebody back there? No? Okay. Here they are. I think I, that lady just lost a year off her life. Okay, here we go. Here they are. What happens when God knocks on the door of the house of oppression? Blood in the Nile. Plague of frogs, plague of lice, plague of flies, plague of cattle, boils breaking out on everybody, hail pouring down from the sky, locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. So this is what we're going to do right now. You could hear me ramble on and on and on about all these plagues, but we're not going to do that. We're going to actually unleash the plagues for you to study in this room right now. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. See this, the uh, bleachers back here, splitting the bleachers right down Tim. You're going to have to move either towards your wife, Tim, or to the other side. Good choice. Okay. (laughs) This is what we're going to do. From Tim over, actually to the right, you guys are going to study the, the Nile turning into blood, Exodus 7, 14 through 24. I'll give you more instructions in just a second. Those of you that are on the left side of the bleachers are taking the plague of the frogs. Better write it down. 
Exodus 8, 1 through 15. Okay, you guys on the cookie wing over here, by the way, no getting cookies while we're studying here. You guys are going to be taking the plague of the lice. Uh, Your Bible might call them gnats, but it's probably more accurate to call them lice. It's Exodus 8, 16 through 19. Okay, Big Papa right here in the middle. We're going to split you right down the middle. You guys can just determine where the middle is. The back section is going to take the plague of flies, Exodus 8, 20 through 32. You front section folks are going to take the plague of the livestock, Exodus 9, 1 through 7. Big daddy number two, we're going to split you down the middle. The big, the back part of you is going to take the plague of the boils. Don't take that personally. Exodus 9, 8 through 12. The front portion here is going to take the plague of the hail, Exodus 9, 13 through 35. You guys, we're going to have to split you because we know that you're predominantly college students. You're used to studying. We're going, to, we're going to utilize you. Split you right in half, okay? Find out where half is. Half of you are going to do the locust, Exodus 10. That's the back, back half, 1 through 20. The front half is going to devour the darkness, Exodus 10, 21 through 29. Okay, so some of you are asking, some of you collegiate question-asking type of people are asking the question, what are we going to do? Here are your instructions. They should pop up on the screen right now. Okay, so these are the questions. Remember, we're looking at the wonder family. We're not looking at the signs yet. These are the questions that you're going to answer. What does the wonder look like? You can include any juicy details that you think are important. Number two, was Pharaoh warned? Number three, what sets up the wonder? Like Aaron raising his staff or Moses raising his hand, etc. Number four, Does God treat Israel differently? Number five, what is Pharaoh's response? Number six, what is the end condition of Pharaoh's heart? Okay, so I don't expect all of you guys to leave your seats and gather around, but you can work with the people right next to you, can't you? Come up with the answers, and then I'm going to call on a representative from each area, maybe multiples, and we'll answer just each one of these questions. If you need a Bible, Lindsay's got one. You probably do, don't you? And Will. Okay, so get to work. Any more questions? Okay, great. Get to work. I'll give you five minutes or so. What'd you say? Five bucks a piece for the Bibles? (laughs) That's funny. You're awesome. Thank you. Busted, buddy. Hey. You guys look like you're cranking over here. Yeah, turn this off. No other way, baby. We would have gotten totally buried in this text if we didn't break it up. This is good. So keep, keep it up. You, you, so you think what sets it up is his hand, not, that, not the locust. Not that he didn't do anything after the locust. All right. You're going to stand up and say that, right? That's sweet, dude. That You should.
Just a, just a minute or two more. Keep cranking. Another minute or so. Come on, John. Get her done. Just so that I can gauge you, if you're done, just raise your hand. Oh man, we're in trouble. Okay, I'm going to give you 60 more seconds. That directly impacts actually you guys first, so you better get it. I appreciate you, dude. Thank you for praying. Okay, wrapping it up. Are the bleacher seats ready to go? Nate, are you going to be the... Come on, stand up, Moses. Come on. Okay, so what did you find out? Uh, What did the wonder look like? It's fantastic. Was, Mer- was Pharaoh warned about this? Yeah. That's good. Number three, what are the details, the setup of the wonder? What happens? Isn't that cool? Follow that thread. That would be an interesting study. Uh, does God treat Israel differently? The answer is no. Okay. Uh, number six. What is the end condition of Pharaoh's heart? Great job, Nate. Okay, uh, Bleacher Section 2. Who is it? Brian, is it you that's going to stand up? Or no? Come on, dude. Okay, here we go. It's really important. Climbed up in their beds, didn't they? Kind of made things uncomfortable. Number two. Pharaoh's warned. Number three. Number four. No, they got frogs too. Number five. Okay, it's fantastic. Cookie section. Barry, is it you? Who's going to do it? Anybody really want to stand up and do this thing? Barry, come on. It's you. Okay, number one. Yes. Um, on gnats and beasts. Yes. Uh, was Pharaoh warned about it? Yes. Yeah, he was. Yes. Uh, number three. Aaron, this is the, uh, again, raised the staff. Yeah. And the gnats were there that come from the dust of the earth. Yeah. All the dust of the earth. Yeah. I tell you what, a side, a side note, study the correlation or the, the, the similarities between the Ten Commands of Creation and the Ten Commands of Destruction. You're going to be blown away by this. In fact, Israel was for generations uh, up until now. And uh, Pharaoh, he didn't, he didn't respond to it. He, was, he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen to his, uh, his magicians who couldn't reproduce the lights and then said, this is definitely the finger of God. 
You know, it's really interesting about going into the language, and we can all do this. Uh, the Hebrew actually communicates something differently. The first two plagues, the, the magicians are able to reproduce them, but the third actually states that the magicians tried to take the lice away and couldn't. Okay, uh, Big Daddy in the back here, who's going to stand up? Come on, quickly. Not a big deal. Come on. Okay, here we go, Barb. Yes. 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 Don't steal the sign, but that's true. Excellent. First section here. Who's going to stand up? Is it UBA? Okay. Come on, bro. Real quick. Isn't that interesting? Okay, back section here. Who's going to stand up? Anybody? John, is that you? Come on, John. We love you. Here we go. Go quick. They actually do. He protects the, the nation of Israel from the boils. So no boils in Goshen, just among the Egyptian people. John, thank you. Great job. No boils. Okay, first, we got three more. We're doing great. Um, first section here. Who's going to do it? Okay, come on. Excellent work. Back section, only two more. All right. Thank so you. Says locust king, darkness, everyone living in green, dead, a strong wind from the east. Um, Pharaoh was warned about the plague. Moses stretches out his staff in his hand over Egypt. It was all of Egypt. Um, the ghost was not protected. Pharaoh pleads with them to stop, forgive his sin, and remove this death. That's really good. I think that the text doesn't communicate that Goshen was protected, but from the point that God communicates that he's in the land, he's protecting Israel from all the final plagues. Okay, final one. Here we go. Uh, number one, what does it look like? It's darkness covering the earth and it's 
Okay, you guys did such a great job. Give yourselves a big old round of applause. Okay, so uh, that wasn't all that big, by the way. Okay, so as we're gazing through the lens of the wonders, looking at all that God destroyed, all, all that he took away, we get a real clear picture, don't we, of what Egypt was all about. It was where the plagues had their most dramatic effect on the commerce, on the comfort, on the prosperity, just to name a few. And before we move on from the wonders portion of our tax to the signs, I just want to look at one more thing. Egypt's gods. You see, behind almost every major activity in Egypt was a false god. And with that false god, an obligation to serve it, to please it, to offer sacrifices to it. And if you didn't do it just right, guess what? Fear, fear of a lack of maybe fertility or fear of uh, uh, miscarriages or fear of crop failure, a lack of rain, fear of financial loss, real fear. That feels heavy to me. We need to know that behind the veneer of Egypt, the happy facade of Egypt was a real demonic power. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.20 says, the things which the pagans sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons and not to God. Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 18 says this. As Israel, much later in their history, wandered away from God again, they actually began to make sacrifices to other gods. And God wanted them to know that in doing so, they were actually making, verse 15, sacrifices to demons, which are not God. Gods the Israelites had not known. Gods their ancestors did not fear. You see, in Egypt... This was not some David Copperfield smoke and mirrors type of thing. I mean, we see it in chapter 7 of our text, verse 11. The real dark powers working, they were working in the magicians that served in Pharaoh's court, turning real staves. I mean, if I held one up in front of you today, real wood and, and precious metal thrown down on the ground and turned miraculously into a snake, not smoke and mirrors. They also replicated the first two plagues. And I know we don't like to talk about it, but it's the same dark power at work against us and our children. It just looks a whole lot different, doesn't it? So stepping right into the infestation is God himself. And when he shows up, it's like Elijah on Mount Carmel. It's like the fire's falling, but guess what? God's the only one bringing the fire. The plagues of Egypt absolutely crushed the gods of Egypt. One moment, looked at as powerful deities supposedly worthy to be feared. The next moment, among the Egyptian people, it was a big collective, uh-oh, the gods are a mess, powerless. Sure don't seem to compare to the god of the Hebrews, well, I'll give you a couple examples because um, we only have time for a couple of ex- uh, examples of how the plagues decimated the Egyptian gods. Number one, uh, you're going to meet uh, Happy. His name is Happy Onk. I think we have a picture of this guy. He's right there. He's, the, he's actually the, the god of the Nile. He was responsible for all things Nile, protecting the Nile, making sure that it flooded Annually, he was worshipped for these things. He's probably not all that happy that God turned the Nile into blood. Number two, let me introduce you to Newt. Newt or Nuth was the goddess of the sky, and she was also the barrier, supposedly separate. Oh, actually, no, this is Isis, the, the plague of the boils. This is the goddess of healing, among other things, and was proven totally powerless impotent before the real God. Last one, this is Newt. 
right here. And she uh, is depicted kind of as a canopy over the Egyptians and their people and was the barrier separating the forces of chaos from the ordered world. Again, this demon was rendered powerless by our God. This is what I share from my heart for a moment. John 10.10 says that the enemy came, the thief came to kill, what, maim, and destroy. But also God came that we might have life and life to the fullest. You see, we've got a real combat, a real uh, dynamic clash between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. But the same God that absolutely devastated the demons of Egypt is the same God that we can call out to who stands strong for us regardless of what we go through if we would let him do that. We don't need to be fearful, cowering against the demonic realm. We need to have healthy respect and turn all of our attention to Jesus, our strength, and our God to protect us and carry us through. Are we on the same page? Okay, Uh, section three, the freedom of truly knowing God. Okay, we've covered as much as we're able to cover in the wonders today. Let's look at the signs. This is my favorite part of the text. Uh, Every year, Allie, my wife, if you haven't met Allie, she's just awesome, full of life. My two boys, Elias and Gabriel, we go to John Ball Zoo, walk around that place, laugh while... The boys are spending their allowance riding the camels in the back of the zoo. And every once in a while, you hear a real loud roar from somewhere in the zoo. And you know it's attached to a real big animal somewhere. And you're just glad that that animal isn't loose running around uh, the zoo somewhere. Within the backdrop of history, the plagues that we're studying today are some of the biggest roars that God made ever in our earth. But they're not just loud judgments. They're big, loud invitations from God. That God, through the signs and wonders of Egypt, is not giving the rest of the world a slap, but giving them a solution. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, I count all things lost. It's all loss or damage in view of the surpassing value of knowing. That word is epigenosko. It's very similar to the word yada in Hebrew, which means relational experience. I consider all life damage or loss compared to the value of knowing, experiencing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, the great men and women of the faith throughout the centuries, the ones that we look at as world changers and God pursuers, they all shame, same, same, share the same message. To personally, yada, to know God means to personally, personally know life. To personally experience God on an ongoing basis means that you're personally experiencing real life, not counterfeit life. Let's go to our text. Here are three signs that we're going to look at uh, today. Exodus 7, 16 through 18. It's the first sign in our text today. Will you read it with me? This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord... With the staff that's in my hand, I'll strike the water of the Niles and it'll be changed into blood. The wonder we've already hit it. The bleachers did a great job. It was Nile to blood. The sign, know that I am. Now listen to me now. I mean, this might be one of the the sections of our text that really has the potential of changing our lives, changing our trajectory. that, That everything good, everything that's worth living for, is bound up, is summed up in him. And if we're found in him, if we possess him, we then in turn possess all that God is and all that God has. What then are we lacking, family? If the Nile turns to blood, we say, my hope's not in the Nile. My health begins to fail. We say, my hope is not in my health. 
The stock market begins to fail. We say, my hope is not in the stock market. That makes me want to sing. I mean, really sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It makes me want to shout passages like 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, that God's divine power has truly given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, our experience, our epigenosco of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, God signed a pharaoh in Egypt. The world is, know that I am all that you need. And this is not Sunday school Jesus time. I mean, the nation of Israel would soon need to put this reality to the test. Let's try over one million people supported in the wasteland for over 40 years. I've been there. There's not enough food for my family for 40 minutes. He says, know that I'm all you need. I will be all that I am to you. Do you hear the invitation? It's an invitation he's extending through the centuries to us today. Real life access through real relationship with God. It makes me want to bawl like a baby. Second sign or message from God in our text, Exodus eight twenty two. But on that day, I'll set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of flies will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. The wonder swarms dense clouds of flies, but none in Goshen. The sign that you may know that I'm really near you, that I'm in the land, that I'm not distant, not far away as Pharaoh would suppose, not far away from your pain, Israel. I actually love the original language here. The phrase in the midst actually portrays being in the very bowels or the the inner part of the land. For Israel, that meant that God was right there in the bowels of the heart of their struggling, the very location of their oppression. It's not God from on high coming down and delivering. It's God right in the heart of their pain and calamity breaking out to deliver them. I I love what David in Psalm 18 says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked and he parted the heavens and came down. How many of us need to hear that message today? That's me. I need to hear that message today. You see the pathway to the deep Personal experience, knowledge of the living God begins with the truth of God's word. Today, hear God's word. I'm a God who is near, he says. I am in the land. I'm in the heart, the bowels of your oppression, your calamity to bring you out. What an amazing God. Sign three. Exodus 9, 14 through 16. The Wonder is the plague of hail. Here's the sign. I will send my full force of my plagues against you and your officials and your people so that you may know, here it is, there's no one like me in all the earth. In verse 16b, I'll show you my power that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Let me, let me package those together again. There's no one like me. No one to compare to me in the earth. And I want you to know so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It was 14 years ago that I married into this phenomenal family. I got a dad-in-law that's like a a second dad to me. His name's Ken. And and it was about two years ago that he's fidgeting around again with uh, one of his devices. He always had this little flip phone, you know. And we gave him lots of grief about his little flip phone. And he upgraded to this iPhone 4S. And it was about a month or two after he got that phone that he was over for dinner at our house. And it wasn't more than five minutes into them coming and visiting with us that he got right up in my grill and he brings out his iPhone. He says, Greg, I want you to know that this is one of the 10 top purchases that I've ever made in my life. And I laughed and 
Allie laughed, but he didn't laugh. I mean, he continued to talk about that iPhone for, for a lot of the rest of the night. But isn't it just kind of like how we all are? We have something great that happens in our lives. Could be a, a kid really doing well in school or a car like my old junkie forerunner just running and running and running and running, 170,000 miles, it just runs beautifully. I'm going to run it to 225 if I can. And we just want to talk about it. The crazy thing is that people will listen. And the same is true with God. Think about this third sign. Within the context of the two messages that we just hit, just before it, there really is no one that comes close to our God. No one. And as we truly grow to know him, the way that God's designed us to know him, guess what? The world will hear of the greatness of our God. In our story, it's the sign and the wonders, the, the, the plagues and the messages of the plagues that would be proclaimed all over the earth. For us, it's the story of our own liberation, our own brokenness and oppression, and the mighty hand of God that grips our collar and draws us out of the pit. You see, that was me 25 years ago. For some of you, that's you today. The God of the Exodus is the God that's still working powerfully. I could see him at work in Dan Pearson this morning and his wife as they stood up and Dan broke down and tried to hold back the tears about how fired up he is that God would use him to share food in Grand Rapids. You see, Dan communicated with his life that there's no one like his God. God is, his God is worthy of having his power and his name proclaimed among the nations. This is how we're going to wrap it up today, our last segment. How do we transition from where we've been to an end? Well, maybe we don't look at this as the end. Maybe we end with a storyline that could be lost really easily amid all the celebrations and the fanfare that we'll read about in a few weeks from now as the nation of Israel is actually liberated from the land of Egypt. It's the story of the end of Pharaoh the antagonist. And as I've been studying these last few weeks, I've really grown to sympathize with this guy. I mean, maybe because he represents weakness that I feel and, and am very aware of in my own life. We know the end of the story about Pharaoh's ultimate demise because it's included in the pages of Scripture. The real question for me, for us, is why did it have to end that way? Page by page, I find myself rooting for Pharaoh to turn the corner and humble himself, especially when I read passages like Exodus 10.3. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Come on, Pharaoh. Come on. Or Exodus 9.14-16, through 16, grab me too. It says, I've spared you, Pharaoh, for this very purpose that I may show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. But he didn't make it, did he? Pharaoh in Exodus 14 with all his armies followed Israel on the path that God miraculously cut out of the heart of the Red Sea and watched helplessly as the sea closed over him. They were crushed by the waves and lost forever. Do you remember uh, the story of Eli in the priest series that we just hit? The story is really intriguing to me because it follows the, the Exodus narrative uh, real closely, that there are plagues, that they, they grabbed the Ark of the Covenant. And as a result of God in her midst, there were plagues of tumors and rats infesting uh, the Philistines. And this is what 1 Samuel 6, 4 through 6 says. They replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make models of the tumors, of the rats that are destroying the country and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did when Israel's God dealt harshly with them? I want to end today with a truth. Humility really wins the day, doesn't it? For every experience that we have in life, it can have two net results. We can either allow it to draw us to God in a deeper relationship with God, 
or we like Pharaoh can use it or allow it to push us away from God. Did you notice that I saved one of the signs for this moment right here in the message? Exodus 10, 1 through 2, it says that you would know that I want you to tell your children and grandchildren that they also might know that I'm the Lord. So today, what is our choice going to be? I mean, will we choose to look at God's signs in the midst of our calamities? Will we take him up on his invitation to know him as the I am? Will we know, choose to believe that he is the God that's in the land, the one who has no equal, who wants his name proclaimed among the nations? Will we live lives that communicate an accurate picture of all that God is to our children and grandchildren so that they might also know. I want to end with just a quote from Thomas A. Kempis. If you seek Jesus in all things, you will surely find Jesus. And if you seek yourself, you'll surely find yourself, but only to your ruin. For a man who does not seek to know Jesus does himself greater hurt than the world and all his enemies could ever do him. Will you pray with me? We just bow down to you. We just want to escape the kind of this mouse cage of life running around doing the same things over and over again and pretending that they're fulfilling. And we know that your gaze is upon us, God, and that you've made your place in our land, that you're near us, that you're in the heart, the bowels of our oppression and our calamity, and that you from that place choose to light a path that we might have freedom and liberation. And so we call out to you, Jesus, this morning. Come and make your way known to us. Make your word live in us. Make your your spirit breathe life into us. Cause us to leave the old way of life in Egypt and, and engage the path that leads us to you. We bless you. Come, breathe your life on us, Jesus. 